Good morning, Kim. Good morning, everyone. Um, we are certainly glad you're here this morning. Hey, before I get started on anything else, I want to dismiss the junior hires. So if you're in junior high, um, you are dismissed for your class out back. Um, while they're doing that, just to have a few things go over. If you haven't met, my name is Shane. I'm the lead pastor here at Mountain View Fellowship. And as always, we're certainly glad that you're here. We love when people come to visit with us, to fellowship, to, to learn, to grow. And we want you to know that wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, you are always welcome here at Mountain View Fellowship. A um, couple things we want to go over before we get into the message. One, you'll notice these cards in the backs of the chairs in front of you. would encourage you to take a minute and look at those. If you're new with us uh, or you've just never filled one of these out, would encourage you to fill the connection card out. Let us know anything that you would like to connect about, you know, uh, maybe you'd like to uh, know more about a certain ministry or you're, you'd like to know what, what it means to make a certain decision in your life in regards to your spiritual walk. Um, we'd love to help you with that. So fill that out and then you can drop those in the offering when they come by. Um, this is our prayer card. We believe in the power of prayer and we believe that God answers prayer and Usually, we believe that, uh, you know, that usually people are here because they have things going on in their life um, that they want God to work in. And so, no matter how big or small your prayer request might be, please share that with us. And we have a group of people that want to pray for you this week. So, um, turn that in in the offering as well. Or if you would like specific prayer from someone today um, before you leave here, we have people that would love to pray for you. And so you can bring the card back to them or you can bring, go back with no card and they would just love to pray with you. And then finally, this is our Next Steps card. And you'll see information about Next Steps in your bulletin, um, which is this thing, which by the way, I recommend looking through it. It amazes me. I'm not talking to visitors right now. I'm talking to you regular attenders. It amazes me how many phone calls we get every week about things that are actually talked about right here. That's, see, there's why it's there is for you to actually look and go, oh, and I know. I watch most of you. Most of you check out for at least one or two minutes during the message. So you can, uh, you know, you can look then, okay? Um, so please uh, read through that. That'll tell you about Next Steps. But Next Steps is our class <coughs> that just helps you plug in and understand who Mountain View Fellowship is. What, what are we about? If, if you're going to make this your church home, what does that look like? What does it mean, um, who we are as a church? But more importantly, who God created you to be. We want to help you find your passion, your, your vision, or God's vision for your life. And we believe that God has created every single person um, for a purpose. And we want to help you find that purpose and, you be, and utilize that purpose. So um, fill that out. And then the class starts coming October. There's free child care. There's free lunch. Um, and uh, we just want to get to know you a little bit better. So we encourage you to do that. Well, this morning, we are doing the last week of a two-week series. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, we asked you if you had questions. And we said, we, we want to answer some of your questions that you might like to hear about. So last week, Pastor Mike talked about listening to God. How do we listen to God? How do we know God is talking to us? What, how does God speak to us? If you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and listen online. Um, this week... We're going to kind of do a message all about the Bible. Um, 
we found I had five different questions come in, just very specific about how do I use my Bible? What, how how's the Bible work? How is it put together? All that kind of stuff. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Now we we it's only two weeks, so we obviously didn't answer. There was twenty something questions that came in. A lot of the questions were about topics that we have done in previous questions series. So if you have a specific question that did not get answered, I encourage you once again to go online, go back. Uh, we did our last question series right around Easter of 2016, and we covered a lot of these things there. Um, <coughs> but uh, you can talk to us, uh, talk to me, and we'll see if I, we have a past message on it or if it's something we can do in the future. But we wanted to talk about the Bible because, like I said, a lot of questions came up about God's Word. So we're going to deal with that this morning. Might find that a lot of this feels a little bit more like a classroom than a sermon because we just there's information we're going to be going through. But I really believe that this is important information. We, we live in a culture that questions God's Word a lot. Guess what? That's nothing new. God's Word has been being questioned since the very beginning when Satan tempted Adam and Eve and said, you know, said to Eve, did God really say? You know, people have been asking that question since the very beginning. Did God really say? Right? Been trying to, did, is that really what you heard? Is that what you, what you think? Um, so we've, we've been dealing with that from the beginning. And we live in a culture where it continues to be a question. And you might ask yourself as you're reading God's word, did God really say this? How do I know I can trust this? How can, how can I believe this? You might have some doubts. I want to encourage you, there's nothing wrong with doubting. Some religions would, would really discourage you from ever doubting a, the whole, a holy book that they would claim to be holy. Well, that's not the case with Christianity. We encourage you, look into it. If you have doubts, really look into it. Don't, don't read the latest web internet guru on, on topics, but really look into these topics. <coughs> you will find that the more you study, at least for me, the more I, when I doubt God's word, the more I dig into it and study how we got God's word, what God's word is about, how it fits together, all these kinds of things, the more I actually grow in my faith. You see, because Christian faith doesn't say, oh, just believe this blindly. And when you doubt this, you're, you're, you're being weak. Or when you doubt this, you're not, um, you're not truly following. You don't have a purity of heart. No, Christian faith says, no, it's okay to doubt this. And when you doubt this, just continue digging and, and growing and seeking God. Don't stop seeking God in it. But as you do, you will find that you grow. I always say, run from someone tells you, oh, faith means believing something completely blind. Don't, don't ever just say, yeah, it doesn't matter what all evidence points to. I'm just going to believe it blindly. Don't, don't ever do that. Actually look at the evidence and examine it. Because guess what? No matter what you choose to believe about anything that isn't right in front of you, you're going to have to use some amount of faith. There is some amount of faith goes into any belief system that we have, but there should be some evidences for that faith. And so as we look at the Bible today, my hope is that you will see that there's evidence for the Bible because the Bible says this. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and, and for instruction, which leads to righteousness. God's word is helpful for us to grow in this life, not because it's just a good book, 
but because I'm hoping that you will come to the conclusion that I've come to, that it is the inspired word of God. So how do we, how do we get that? Well, let's go ahead and look. I want to start with how was the Bible written? How do we get the Bible? What we'll find is that the Bible is written completely different than any other what would be considered holy writing. <clears throat> the Bible actually contains 66 separate books. Those 66 books include things like history and poetry, prophecy, letters, and more. It was written by 37 different contributors. 37 different people contributed to the works of the Bible over a span of 1,500 years and on two or three continents, depending on how you want to look up look when the continents are broken up and how they're broken up, that kind of thing, and how you want to see it. It was written in three languages. The original language of the Bible is in three different languages, depending on the era and the place that it was written, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, just compare that to other holy works, and you will find it's completely different than any other Bible or any other holy work. For instance, just let's take the Quran. Quran is probably the the other most revered holy work in in history, and its its differences are one: it was written by one person. It was written over a period of about twenty years, and it was written about five hundred years after the very last book of the Bible was written, about 600 years after Christ. So much later on, one person and a short period of time. So when we look at that, when we look at the, how the, the Bible was put together, it's, a, it's nothing short of miraculous that all of these books by all these different people who were fishermen and kings and, and poets and philosophers and, and doctors, all these different people, that it all came together and still points to one thing. That over 1,500 years, all these authors through all these cultures, all these historical contexts were all writing and pointing to one time in history, and that is Jesus Christ. One specific person in history, Jesus Christ. That that much came down to that one point. When you, when you really think about that, when you look at the odds of that, it's nothing short of miraculous. A guy by the name of Richard Mayhew um, is a biblical scholar. He said, what a person thinks about God's word in reality reflects what a person thinks about God. And I truly believe that. I think how we see God's word has a huge reflection of how we see God. So, if that's how the Bible was written... How, how do we get it? How do we get to the point, our current Bible today? You, you want to be sure that this, this book that we hold in our hands, we want to be sure that is this, is this really the, the stuff that was meant to be in here? Is this all the, everything that God intended to be in there? And I think this, again, is one of the most amazing things about the Bible. When we look at our Bibles today, I think one of the most amazing things about it is how we got it and what it, what it means. Simply the number of manuscripts we have on the Bible is nothing short of miraculous. So to help you understand, 
In, in manuscript form, there are 20,000 lines that create the biblical text. Okay? 20,000 different lines that create the biblical text. Of those 20,000 lines, there are only 40 lines that have any discrepancy whatsoever. And none of those 40 lines have any theological or doctrinal bearing to the message. None of, they're, they're all very minuscule, <coughs> minuscule little discrepancies and differences. Now, of those, those 20,000 lines, we actually have 24,000 different manuscripts to point to the original text. Now, let me just explain. What, what do I mean by that? Well, just so you know, everyone understands, any ancient book you have, say the writings of Plato um, or Homer's Iliad or anything like this, we don't, nobody can say, oh, well, here's the original writing because the different materials that they would have written those on over that amount of time have been destroyed. They, don't, they can't make it that long. So, so we have manuscripts. So what what's happens is back in ancient history, any, anything that was considered important was copied. So let's say that the history of Heber, right? In Heber, if this was an ancient, ancient area, you would have, we would have a, a scribe or we, you know, the people that were meant to write in, down the different things of history. They, so actually, we'd have recorders, and then we'd have scribes. The recorders would record every single thing that happened throughout history in, in Hebrew, everything that seemed of importance. Then the scribes, their job was then to copy what was written. So say something was written 100 years ago, my job as a scribe is to just open that scroll and keep copying it. Why? Because we know that this, the original scrolls will no longer be in existence in a few hundred years. They're not going to make it through. So we continue to copy, and we have, we, depending on how important it is, we make that many copies. Okay? So, so they would just continue copying these things. Um, with the, so with the Bible, we have 24,000 different copies throughout history of the original manuscripts. Compare that, just so you have context, to any other historical writing. The closest, the closest we have would be Homer's Iliad. Homer's Iliad has 643 copies of the original manuscript. So we only have 643 copies compared to 24,000 copies of the Bible. The other thing about the way the Bible was copied was it wasn't copied, like if I was to write, if you gave me something I needed to copy on a, um, on a um, computer, I would read three to ten words, depending on how good my memory is, right? And then I would, I would type it, because I'm not a good enough typist to look at it while I'm typing, okay? <coughs> so I would, I, I would, that's how I would copy it. What's the chances I'm going to get some words wrong? Pretty high, Right? That's not how they copied. They copied letter by letter without reading ahead of time. In fact, they weren't even able to read. The only people that were able to read were the people that would then check their work and make sure one line at a time, every line one at a time was checked to make sure that there was accuracy. That's how they were able to do that with having a total of 24,000 copies and only 40 small discrepancies amongst those copies. No other document in history has that 
kind of meticulous attention to detail in its copying. Add to that a discovery in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead Sea Scrolls found many manuscripts that were a thousand years older than any manuscript we had to date. Now, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have manuscripts that literally come from the time of Christ, some of them dating up to 100 B.C. So we have some of the, the Bible texts literally going back to the time of Christ. Once again, Homer's Iliad, the closest we have, 500 years discrepancy. If you, if you read Homer's Iliad, you're reading something that the closest copy we have is 500 years from when it actually happened. Versus if you're reading the Bible, the closest actual copy we have is copied from stuff that literally we can go, go back to at the exact same time that it was being that it was happening. Okay? So a huge discrepancy in the way the Bible is put together compared to any other ancient document. I touched on this a little bit about a year and a half ago when we talked about the resurrection of Christ. And one of the things to think about is how many people today question whether or not Plato actually said something? You read a quote from Plato, how many people say, oh, I don't think he said that? Nobody. Nobody questions that, except the only difference is 700 years between when, what we have from when Plato actually said it and the closest copy. 700 years difference, but nobody questions that. But people will question the Bible all day long, even though there's that difference in the way we, that it was handed down compared to any other writing. One way to think about it today is if you're into art is replications of masterpiece works of art. A replication of masterpiece work of art, you can't tell. The human eye cannot see the difference in a good replica. That's the kind of detail that is put in to the Bible. It is the most accurate historical document that we have. So, how did we decide? Okay, so it's accurate. How did we decide what documents actually go into these pages? Between this cover and that cover, how did we decide what makes it? Because there were other writings, you've all heard that, right? There were many other writings that, that didn't make it in here. <coughs> Why? Well, one, because guess what? Any important thing in history, people write about. You don't believe me? So we don't write today. Today we don't write about it. We YouTube about it. Right? We YouTube about it. You don't believe me? Type in 9-11 conspiracies on YouTube. And see how many people spend hours putting these videos together to to document their conspiracies about 9-11. Type, type in, Abraham Lincoln was never president. And see how many people. Well, well there, there, there's all sorts of theories about the, these kinds of things. Type in, the, the Flat Earth Society. There's entire groups of people that are still promoting these things. Why? Why? Because they, anything important, people want to have a theory on. Guess what? Jesus was kind of a big deal. So people wrote about him. Many people wrote, meaning to encourage. They, they wrote good things. They wrote what they knew, and it was, it was good stuff. Just like maybe you or I might, if we got to experience some level of being around Jesus or hearing about his ministry, we might write a letter to someone. 
Those are documents, and some of them had enough truth to them that people continued passing them around and passing them down, and they were good documents. Others were out there, very much out there. Different people wrote to different letters in the different church letters that uh, different churches that were started. They would write letters to different churches started. Sometimes trying to discount everything that was written, everything that was said, because they were they were trying to cause trouble. Sometimes just trying to encourage those churches. But with all of it, there was what was called a canon in which it was scrutinized by. When we say canon, a lot of we think of something that shoots, right? Canon really means, when we, if you, anyone, raise your hand if you've heard of the biblical canon. Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, most of us have, a lot, you, if you've been around and you've studied much, you've heard about the biblical canon. You've also heard, you may have heard that the, the canon is one of the things that is criticized oftentimes about how we got this book. People say, well, what they did was they just took the stuff that they wanted, they took the stuff that promoted the, the Roman church or the Roman government, and, and they threw everything else out. It's not the case. Let's look at, let's look at that. First of all, with the Old Testament, let me say this. <clears throat> There's not a, lot of, not, not a lot of discrepancy about the Old Testament. Most people will hold to and agree that the Old Testament scripture is what has been considered holy since pretty much the beginning. The Jews were very meticulous about passing down their history through the Old Testament. And those books were revered throughout Jewish history. And they were basically decided upon 600 years before Christ, 600, year, 600 BC. There were, from that point on, there really has been no diversity in any way of that. Outside of what you, and you might have heard of, well, yeah, but some books contain the Apocrypha. Okay? And you might even have a Bible at home that has the Apocrypha. Um, nothing wrong with the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is no way is considered like anti-God or, you know, there's no reason it's not in here. But the Apocrypha is considered accurate historical testimony that is not necessarily the inspired word of God. So that's why it's not in most, most Bibles or a lot of Bibles. Okay? But, but there is a lot of validity to it. And there's actually a lot of good things to read about it. You'll, you'll, you'll read a lot of great um, important things of Jewish history if you read the Apocrypha. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's something that we, we consider, you know, bad or negative. It's a New Testament that comes under fire for the most part. So when we look at the, the canon of the New Testament, the canon of the New Testament was developed, it started being developed in 170 A.D. Now, most people will argue it didn't start being developed till 360 or so A.D., and that's they'll say, that's, it, was, it was done so in order to promote the Roman church and the Roman, um, Roman government. That's one of the arguments they used. Problem is, that wasn't the first canon. The first canon was in 170 A.D. The, really, the major differences between the 170 A.D. and the, the later one is, they actually added some books later. They didn't take away. They actually added. The, the three books that were, were take, that were not in the first one were the book of Hebrews, James, and 3 John. And it wasn't because of what they didn't like. It was just because they had a hard time actually knowing who the actual author was. So, <clears throat> so it wasn't that things were thrown out and gotten rid of um, in order to promote, to promote any political agenda. It was, because certain, it was basically based on these cannons, these rods, these measuring sticks in which they put it up against in order to see should this be considered the inspired word of God. So what were those canons? 
There are five of them. The first one is apostolic, meaning that they wanted to know, is it written? Can it, can it be proved that it was written by an apostle or a partner of theirs in ministry? So could it be proved that it was written by someone close to Jesus that really was spent a, a lot of time around Jesus? Second, orthodox. Was it, was it an orthodox book? Meaning, did it, did it agree with the accepted and approved teachings of the church from the, from the early beginnings of, of after Christ ascended? Third, was it Christocentric? Meaning, did it focus on Christ? Was he the point of the whole thing? Or did it just start getting into other things that really had nothing to do with who Jesus is? Fourth, was there evidence of inspiration? Did it have qualities and characteristics that is the divinely inspired word of God. And in fifth, acceptance by the church. Was it a book that had been accepted already and used by the majority of the different churches that had been around? Why was this so important? Why, why did they do this? Because they knew that this was going to be around for centuries. And if they didn't make a decision about what really should be considered true and, and held, held to as inspired then eventually as time went on, it was going to be harder and harder for anyone to decipher what was what. So they made a decision to do that. Here's another reason that to me shows that it wasn't that they were trying to just completely get rid of anything. Why? Because you can read those other books. If you, if, if you want to, you can, there's all sorts of other letters and, and gospels and stuff that were written that we, you can find. A Reader's Digest compiled in the 1980s called The Lost, the Lost Books of the Bible. And I, I read through it. And it contains many of the other Gospels, some of the other letters, and, and some of them are good, are good stuff. There's, I wouldn't say is anything anti against, against God's Word. There are other things that contain things that you kind of think, well, you know, it seems like it's a little far-fetched or it doesn't really fit within. But, but it's still around. If the church was really trying to just say, hey, this is it, and, and you have to believe what, what we're putting out, and, there's, and nothing else is, and, you know, and they were, it was a political thing or it was a control thing, they would, have, they would have destroyed all those documents. They wouldn't have left them around to, to be continued to be read today. So That's how we get the Bible. Now, like I said, I might have not said, this is a crash course, <laughs> okay? We could go, you could spend hours talking about this and, and, and getting into this, but that's just some basic things. <clears throat> so let's look at Old Testament versus New Testament because we got a few questions about that. Like, how, what's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament? Why did God change between Old Testament and New Testament? Some of you may have thought that or have uh, heard that. Well, what is the Old Testament, New Testament? The Old Testament is basically the story of God and his people before Christ. It's the story of God and his people before Christ, leading up to Christ. It all points to Christ. The New Testament is a story of Christ's redemptive work and the advancement of that message through the church. That's basically what, why they're broken up. Testament simply means covenant. A covenant is a, is a contractual relationship between two parties, the difference is between a covenant and a contract is a covenant says that even when one party fails to hold up their end of the bargain, the other party will continue holding to their side. 
much much like we when I do marriage ceremonies, I, I talk about that because we all know in our, our marriages, there's always times where one party doesn't hold up, like they said, and it's and and, and hopefully it's kind of a back and forth kind of thing where we're both holding we're both holding that up. But God continues to be faithful in all of His covenants, even though His people oftentimes don't. But that's simply what the word testament means. So let me just give you a breakdown of Old Testament and New Testament. How, how is it broken up? Because chances are, you've, a lot of people have done this. New Year's resolution, I'm going to read through the Bible. All right? I'll turn to Genesis. I'm going to start reading. Now, usually, I get a little confused around Genesis 6, 7, 8. And then it gets back to Abraham. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I'm following a person's story. And I read through Genesis. And I'm like, okay, that, I got that. made sense. That's good. Now I'm going to read Exodus. And about by Exodus 15, I'm like, what in the world is happening? And, and, and then by Leviticus, I'm like, I, I, there's all these laws. Why, why do I... My, what a discharge! I don't understand. Anyway, so we we we're just we're confused and we and we just go and we're done, right? And the end of the month, you know, Jan, January thirtieth or February, middle of February, we're like, forget it. It's confusing. <clears throat> the Bible is not meant to be read in a as a chronological book. See, in a Western mindset, that's how every that's what we do with everything, right? We read chronologically. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is put together by sections. So the first five books of the Bible are called the laws, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Okay, first five books. I never start reading the Bible at the beginning. I know that goes against everything we kind of think, but especially your first time through the Bible, don't just start at the beginning. It's, it's all the law. The second part is Joshua through Esther. That's the history. History is Joshua through Esther. That gives pretty much the history of once we get to actually God's people, the Israelites, once we get to that point, on, okay? Third is poetry and wisdom, and that's Job through Song of Solomons. Then finally is prophets, and that's Isaiah through Malachi, and they're major and minor prophets basically based on how long they are, okay? I really recommend, if you want to read the Old Testament, Purchase the book, The Story, or those of you that bought the book, The Story, when we went through it two and a half years ago, actually read it, okay? Because what it does is it breaks it up in chronological order. It puts it in a story, and the prophecies, it puts them with what was actually happening at the time, so you have a better understanding of the whole thing. Then we have the New Testament. Now, the New Testament is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <clears throat> the early church history, which is Acts. The letters, which is Romans through Jude. It starts out with Paul's letters, and then it has the other letters from various apostles. And then what's called apocalyptic, and that's Revelation. That's why it's kind of hard to read. If you want to know where to read, I will get this at the end, but start with the Gospels. And go from there, and we'll get to that in the end. Um. So, so then the other question is, is, well, why is God so different in the Old Testament? What I would encourage you, if you really think that, is to do a careful reading of the Old Testament and read the verses that describe God. We read about God's anger. It's true. We read about God's wrath. We read about his judgment. 
But all of those things we read about, we also, if we're really reading and we're studying the whole thing, we read these little verses that talk about in between there, the generations it took to get to these points. And we read about God's patience and his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace on these countless generations before he displayed any anger or wrath. God is a merciful God. If you hear some verses, just you can look them up real quick. Exodus 34, 6, Numbers 14, 18. Just write these down. You can look them up later if you want. Um, so Numbers 14, 18, Psalms 86, verse 5, Joel 2, 13. Those are just a few throughout the different kinds of writings that just show you that all throughout the Bible, God is, it talks about his mercy. It talks about his grace. We see him being patient with his people through multiple generations, sometimes into the centuries, multiple centuries, before he brings any judgment. Throughout Old Testament, God is patient, but he does discipline his children. He does discipline his children. Compare that to the New Testament. The New Testament is really only written about a 100-year period. So, it was written, and it was written about the period in which God brings redemption to this land. Now, we won't. We won't ever have writings after Revelation, after the fi final judgment. Where there's not going to be writings. But guess what? If there were writings about that, you'd be reading a lot about God's anger. You know, and it, that's what Revelation is about. It's a short book, so it's not a lot of the New Testament, but it's a short book. It's not that God changes. God is a loving parent. Guess what? I love my children. You push me far enough, I'm going to discipline you. Right? That's, that's who God is. In fact, Hebrews 12, 5, 7 through 5 through 7 says this. And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? We serve a loving, gracious God that is never changing. But he is also a God that will discipline his children. So finally, the gospel. People ask, I, we had a few people ask, what is the gospel? And I, this is important to go over because I don't want anyone to be a part of Mountain View Fellowship that does, and not know the gospel. <clears throat> the word gospel simply means this. It means the good news. It's very simple. The good news. It's the, the gospel is the good news of Jesus and his work to redeem humanity. The good news of Jesus and his work to redeem humanity. We find this recorded in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the whole Bible points to this. Like I said, the Old Testament all pointing to this coming place of redemption this coming act of redemption, and the New Testament following the Gospels all pointing back to how we should live in light of that redemption. Now, with all good news, you've all heard you want the good news or the bad news first. Right? We've all heard that. There's only good news if there's bad news. If there's not bad news, then news is just news. Right? All good news has bad news. The bad news is this. In despite of how good or bad we are in relationship to one another, the reality is we're all in the same spiritual boat. We're all in the same spiritual boat. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all of us have sinned. 
and we all fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. We can't be good enough. We can't be righteous enough. In fact, the Bible says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. But the good news is we don't have to be. We just have to trust in this God who loves us so much. He loves us so much that he did the work. So you see, the whole Old Testament, in the whole Old Testament, God is revealing his love for us. And he's sharing his desire to be in a relationship with us since creation. If you read and you really study the Old Testament, not just reading pieces of it, but if you read through it, you see that continual story of his desire to be in relationship with us. And our continual choice of sin. That's what the whole Old Testament is recording. God's desire to be in relationship with us, us continuing sin. His desire to be in relationship with us, us continuing in sin. And he continues to reveal his love through calling us to himself. All through all the Old Testament, calling us to himself. First he does it through Abraham, then he does it through the Israelites. And he gives them the opportunity to show their faithfulness through following the law, through following the, these things that he, he says, okay, you want to do it on your own? You want to do it without me? Okay, here's what it means to be good. Do these things. And they continually fall short. And all of it was for the purpose of preparing them and to prepare everyone since the beginning for our need for a Savior. To show us that we are incapable of following him on our own. We're incapable to, of living up to his standards. And ultimately, God reveals his love for us through Christ. And so to, the entire gospel is summed up in this. It's a re, there's a reason it's the most famous passage in Scripture, John 3.16. And I'm going to follow up with verse 17 as well. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. It goes on in verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is the story of the Bible. It all points to the gospel. <clears throat> if you don't know Jesus, if you're someone who tries to live your life on your own and try to prove your worth to God, I can't encourage you enough to start reading the gospels and finding out who Jesus is and more importantly, just to take the step of trusting him with your life. So, how do we use the Bible? Like I said, it can be scary, right? It can be kind of a tough thing to read. But I'll tell you this. Anything worth doing is difficult. Anything worth doing is difficult. I've never done one thing of value in my life that I didn't do with difficulty. Right? I've, I've done lots of things that were fun to do, that were, you know, that that I've accomplished, they were easy, but they weren't, they held no value. Every single thing I've ever accomplished in life that had value was difficult. Those of you that are in great shape, you, you work to do, get there. It's not easy. Don't try to tell me it's easy. I know, because I've tried like 200 times, right? It's not easy. Right? You're in great shape because you, you sacrifice things. You make decisions. You, it, you know it holds value to you. So you, you put the effort and the work into it. Raising kids. Raise, we, when we raise kids, if you raise kids, that you, are, you, know, you look at them and you think, man, I'm, I'm really thankful for how they turned out. Guess what? It wasn't an accident. 
There, there's, it, there's work that went into that. You made sacrifices to make that happen. You put effort into something because it held value to you. All healthy, all healthy marriages are difficult. And yet they're healthy not because it just all happened to be that way. They're healthy because we made choices to sacrifice. We made choices to be selfless. We make choices to trust. We make choices to work hard even when it doesn't feel like the other person is working hard. We make choices to put effort into difficult things. Everything of value in life comes with difficulty. And I would challenge you, especially if you are here and you say, yes, I'm a Christ follower. The Bible, reading the Bible can be difficult. But it can be, lead to one of the most rewarding things in your life, and that is a true walking relationship with God. We don't read the Bible just to know the Bible. We read the Bible to know God. Last week we talked about God speaking to us and we said that one of the main ways that God speaks to us is through his word. If we want to know God, we have to know his word. That's one of the main ways he speaks to us is through his word. Yeah, it's difficult sometimes. It's hard to understand sometimes. But it's worth it if you want to have a growing relationship with God. And if you're experiencing hopelessness, if you're experiencing a lack of peace, if you're experiencing the depression and anxieties and, and all the things that the world brings at us, I'm not, I'm not opposed to you know, seeking help and even medication at times and those kinds of things, but I'll tell you, nothing will help more than this. Well, more than God and getting to know God through his word. So let me just give you some things not to do when you read God's word. Don't point and shoot. What do I mean? I mean this. God, I'm really just struggling, God. I just, I need you to tell me something, God. He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate because many, I tell you, that actually kind of works on some things. But <laughs> you know what I mean though, right? You might be surprised how many times he tells you to, like Josh said on Wednesday night, not boil a goat in its mother's milk or something like that. You know, don't point and shoot. Sometimes you, you might get lucky, but that's not how God wants to speak to you. Don't, don't, don't hold to pithy sayings, okay? Now, I'm, Josh and I are still having this discussion. We'll see if the 11 o'clock hour is more refined than the 9.30 hour. How many of you know the word pith, pithy? Yeah, boy, man, okay. All right, pithy means concise sayings, okay? That's just a bit, don't know the pithy sayings. I think a lot of times as Christians, we, like, we just like get these little quick quotes out of the Bible, and we go, that's, 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 I like that. That may, makes me feel good. So we hold to these little things. They really don't tell us anything about who God is. We love to print the Bible on stuff. You ever notice that? And I, and I get it. The Bible even tells us to put it on all these, put it on door frames here and you know, all that kind of stuff. There, there's, that's great to put God's word on things. My fear in that is that we, we take a lot of stuff out of context when we do that. We, we got to make sure it's in context. Let me give you an example. So that's another thing. Don't take things out of context. Next week, we're going to start a study going through the whole book of Philippians. Really encourage you to be here. Great way for you to 
bring your Bibles and mark them up and we'll, we'll go through it. <clears throat> but here's a famous verse out of Philippians. I'm being confident of this, this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it, will, I'm sorry, bring, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, that's a famous verse in Philippians. A lot of people say, take that verse and they go, yeah, see, God's going to do big things. God's going to keep moving in me. See, in context, that means, hey, if you're showing fruit in your life, if I see, this is Paul speaking to them, and he's saying, I see God's fruit already in your life. I see you working through the trials. If I see that, I'm, I want you to have confidence to know that God's going to bring it to completion. Not, hey, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter that you just said a prayer and you're living how your life however you want. And you can just kind of go, hey, God's going God's to make it all work out to completion. No. He's saying, look, if you're already showing fruit in your life. But see, we kind of, we take things out of context. Don't use it to back up your points. Don't just kind of have a point and find things to, to, to back up how you already think. How do we use it? One, I would encourage you, start, one, start reading it. Read it for five minutes every day. If you're not reading the Bible, read for five minutes a day. And start with the Gospels. If you don't know where to start, just start with the Gospels. I'm not even going to tell you which one to start because they're different for different people. They're written for different reasons. Just read and read all four of them. Five minutes a day. And then from there, you move on to the letters. You finish the Gospels, come talk to me. And then after that, move through the Old Testament. Second, read it with context. Understand that what was written was written for a reason. Ask yourself, what did the author intend for the people that was, were reading this the very first time? And then say, based on that, how does this apply to me? Not the other way around. See, what we have a tendency to do is just go, okay, I just need something to apply to my situation in life. Instead of saying, God, let me understand how this, what this meant so that I can apply it to my life. And then finally, meditate on it. Find, when you're reading through it, if there's a passage that really speaks to you and something that's going on in your life, meditate on it. Write it. Write those passages in context somewhere and learn to understand it and know it. My prayer is that we would be a church that holds the word of God, not because we want to know this, but because we want to know God and we want to walk with him and we want to have that relationship with him. You think any relationship you have is of value? I promise you, a true walking, working relationship with God will add value to your life more than anything you've ever done and anything you've ever known. Let's pray. Thank you, God, <coughs> for your word. Not because it shows us how to live, God, but because it shows us who you are. Because it helps us know you. And that the more we know you, the more we live in such a way that brings your promises. The promises of truth, the promises of peace, of hope, of love, of grace and mercy. God, help us to be a people that are hungry for your word because we simply hunger for you. 
pray these things in your name.